Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to episode 140 of Writer on the Road. This week we're talking with the beautiful Lisa Messenger, a living life out loud. And it's really, really exciting to have Lisa aboard with us here at Writer on the Road. She's just released a special issue 53 of Collective Hub magazine, absolutely beautiful beautiful magazine. It went into hiatus for a little while there and if you read her new book Risk and Resilience, Breaking and Remaking a Brand, you'll find out why it went into hiatus. Very, very interesting story and we talk a little bit about that today. Lisa's got some great courses over there. She's very generously given us a Collective Hub 2019 Diary to give away. And I think I'll give it away to one of my subscribers here at Rider on the Road. So if you're interested in winning this, again, beautiful, beautiful copy of a Collective Hub 2019 Diary, just subscribe in the next little while. As a bonus to subscribing, you will get a copy of the very first Author Success Stories magazine uh, that's coming off the press here at Rider on the Road. We've got all our favourite authors. We've got Annie Seaton. We've got Natasha Lester. We've got Pamela Cook, Ali Sinclair. Get this issue. If, if there's not another issue that you get, these women have so much great advice to, to give away. God knows how it'll go next year as, as I kick into my year of writing fiction, but I've got 140 podcasts and I want, to, I want to bring some of that content to you in the written form because all that advice uh, will get lost in the noise of the internet if I just let it sit where it is in audio. Let me know what you think of the first issue and we'll try and build it up and and make it a resource for all of us, for our beginning writers, for our established writers, and just to showcase some of the most amazing talent that we have here in Australia and I guess some of our overseas writers as well because I think we've talked to a few of those over the last 140 issues as well. In the meantime, sit back and listen to Lisa. I can guarantee that you're going to learn a lot from this one. Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Um, today's guest doesn't need an introduction, I don't think, because we all know and love and admire her. Welcome, Lisa Messenger. Oh, thank you. That is a beautiful introduction. <laughs> the ums and ahs, everybody. I've rushed in from school, but you know what I'm like. Uh, now, Lisa is an international speaker, best-selling author, and an authority on disruption in both the corporate sector and the startup scene. I love that word, disruptor. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> tell us about it. It always sounds funny saying an authority on disruption. I think when I was at school, they may have argued slightly differently <laughs> about that. And, you know, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I think through the school system, the um, I'm always fascinated and perplexed a little bit by how you can be disruptive in the school system and you're always asking, but why, but why, but how, but how? And it was that disruptive notion back then that kind of saw me sitting in the, the hallways outside the classroom for the majority of my school life. But I'm still 
that same little punk rebel asking, but why, but why, but how, but how, and trying to buck the status quo and always trying to find a different, better way of doing things. It's just that, strangely enough, that's kind of celebrated now. Hopefully it's slightly more finessed and I, um, you know, I've grown a little bit spiritually and emotionally since the school days <laughs> but anyway it's an interesting space yeah now that's really cool everybody i as as usual i'm the english teacher uh teaching the the dropout student and the students famous and i'm still there in the classroom teaching the english students uh lisa the reason <laughs> i got you on today is uh everyone this is a bit of a personal story for me but i do have the woman who has influenced my journey over the last uh i guess um well over five years. The current book you have out, Lisa, is Risk and Resilience, and we're going to talk at length about that one today. But the book that started mine was Money and Mindfulness. Now, that's been out a few years, hasn't it? Yes, and aren't you beautiful? It gives me shivers when I hear that because I think there's so many people in this world that we, all of us, don't connect with or, you know, we're silently doing something that's helping other people and then suddenly you have this connection and you hear about the impact and that's very beautiful and I look forward to hearing your story. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's make this one all about me, everyone, just because I've got this amazing woman here. Let's talk about me. Um, yes. <laughs> money and mindfulness. Uh, so many of us think we know all about it until we haven't got any. Uh, I found myself in a situation where I didn't have any. I had two young children. We were traveling in our caravan everybody through Coffs Harbour and I went into the news agency and I found this amazing little what well, it's almost a paperback book in a news agency uh, 30 bucks I didn't have any money and I splurged out I think it was 30 bucks of my last hundred and bought this thing because it had beautiful oh, pictures wow. of the ocean Lisa that was such a practical book but full of joy and life because of the images because of I think the typography, and you've carried that through to your current books, it's more than just a how-to book, isn't it? Yeah, so it's real, and thank you. That is a beautiful story, <laughs> amazing. It's a big thing in being unafraid and courageous enough to invest in ourselves even when things are, you know, and I've been through that many times myself. I wrote that book because in March 2013 I started a print magazine and it was Collective Hub and it was 11 years into my entrepreneurial journey. So I kind of go, well, wow, something finally worked. It was like an 11-year overnight success. And that print magazine within 18 months was in 37 countries. Like it was crazy. But people kept saying to me, but how are you doing this? Like you must have all this money. And I said, no, I have no money. And so I really wanted to, like everything, I write my books in real time. I wanted people to understand um, the journey that I'd been on, the mindset um, and, you know, perceived or real barriers that I had to overcome and that there are, you know, more currencies than cash. That was really important to me about how do we, you know, find like-minded non-competing businesses um, and how do we kind of remove cash as the only currency and sort of think, well, I love what you're doing and I love what you're doing. What's the value exchange, you know, and how can we actually work together to lift each other? higher and the other premise of that book is um 
you know, I think I used to feel that money was a dirty word for years and I kept myself kind of small and um, I felt guilty, you know, at the very thought of making money. And I had to kind of shift my own mindset and go, no, I'm worthy of this. And so largely that was also about making money or making profit and doing good in the world don't have to be mutually exclusive. And in fact, what I've learned is that we need to make money to, you know, have freedom and platform and choice. And so now I'm very comfortable (laughs) with the notion of making money because unfortunately, as much as we can trade other currencies and other things, sometimes like print bills, you know, you have to pay with cold hard cash. <laughs> so yeah, that, that book um, was very practical and a lot of the, the mindset and the tools that kind of helped me on my journey to expand from literally, you know, zero dollars and three staff under the age of 25 entering into a highly saturated market that I knew nothing about that people said was dead or dying. So that's really a book about how I overcame all of that, I guess. Yeah, and that's, and look, it's a really cool story, everybody, and it's the one that I will remember forever. But then we move forward however many years and we've got the new book, Risk and Resilience. And again, it's this bear it all, uh, live in the moment, experiential story that has reached out and touched the rest of us because this story isn't pretty, is it? No, it's horrible. (laughs) And, in fact, so the premise of starting Collective Hub was um, to... I was so sort of sick of the media at the time how you would read about these extraordinary people but there was something lacking. Like I I was always asking, well, what's the story behind the story? How did they start? Why did they start? How did they get funded? How did they find distribution? Like I was always perplexed and confused about this. So that's kind of the premise on which I started the magazine. And then I thought, well, it's kind of my duty, (laughs) I felt, to write books to actually tell my own story behind the story so people could you know, relate in real time. So I've actually written six books in the last four and a half years. But yes, the latest one, Risk and Resilience, is anything but pretty. And I started writing that in October 2016 when um, Collective Hub started um, hitting the skids a little bit. So it was interesting going from three staff you know, everyone on minimum wage, suddenly I had 32 staff and over $3 million in fixed salaries. And it happened very, very quickly. And, um, and suddenly, as a creative, and a visionary and a leader, I found myself in this kind of horrible situation of systems and processes and IT and HR and legal and finance and yuck. (laughs) And I just was kind of drowning every day thinking, well, this isn't fun. And and I started questioning, well, is bigger better? You know, I mean, Collective Hub has given me the wildest journey of my life, like amazing and so many lessons, but um, but suddenly it got quite ugly. So I started writing this book, October 2016, thinking it would have a very different ending. And unfortunately, as I got further into writing the book, the business <laughs> kind of went on this trajectory of, you know, it kind of got worse and worse before it got better. So I was like, oh, well, I said I'd write it. I said I'd put it out there. And I think it's only through doing that and being authentic and raw and real and kind of going, well, this is the reality of a high growth startup and, you know, an entrepreneurial journey, which often isn't pretty. And I think it's given other people permission to kind of go, well, 
you know, your purpose and your why can remain the same, but if the delivery mechanism is actually drowning you as it was me, then sometimes it's time to break a few things. So I did that. And I've never felt so on purpose and so fabulous, but we can dig into any of that. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's funny, everybody. Uh, The thing that I really related to in that is my life journey is exactly the same as Lisa's, uh, minus several zeros. Okay, so we might be talking (laughs) $3,000 instead of $3 But the story is the same. I built a whole business. It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's it's all relative. Yeah. I built a yeah. whole business and found that it was actually too not what I wanted. It took away you mentioned that creative visionary and that creative journey and suddenly you're surrounded in paperwork and you're dying under it. And you have yeah. you have to pull back. And that's what really intrigued me in your story. You paired right back and and got rid of it all, didn't you? Before you could come out of the ashes, Phoenix like and <laughs> and rebuild. Yeah, thank you. And I mean that that was a very, you know, a very difficult time with some kind of brave and courageous places and also, you know, surrounding myself with some people way smarter than me who I had to listen to and they literally like, you know, cut the guts out of the business. The cost base is way too heavy and um so I just for the first time in my life just listened to these people like on a daily basis and the guy that helped me Damien dig out of it he was meant to be with me for four days and he said I've never seen anyone just follow something to the T so he stayed with me through the whole ugly journey of you know about 14 months or something he just stuck by my side and helped me wind out of it and the only way I can describe it is I just kept saying, I just have to break everything, like literally, you know, close the print magazine, 52 issues and five years in, you know, make people redundant, just cut the guts out of the cost base and get intimate with my data again and understand kind of, you know, where it had gone wrong. And I did that pretty quickly. And um, and it was only a few months really after I kind of broke everything and then I was like oh my gosh it's so obvious where you know these mistakes kind of happened and so now I'm building back up in a much more sustainable (laughs) um you know in a much more sustainable way which will give longevity to to my purpose so yeah I'm I'm excited I feel like I'm back in flow I have energy I'm again surrounded by fabulous people and you know I'm able to kind of breathe again as a creative yeah, and it, everybody, it's exciting because I would actually call what you're doing now, you're almost in India, aren't you? You've, you've moved out of the corporate, you've moved out of the traditional, and now you're going India, you're flying solo, you're hiring freelancers, uh, yeah. and, and you're moving forward with purpose. Yeah, and my um, my head of my advisory board, I was chatting to him a few days ago, and and I said, oh, you know, it's so great to be at the other side of that big failure. And he said to me, failure? What do you mean? Like, that wasn't a failure. And I just thought, yeah, you know, so many people, I mean, I I think it's great because you read about so many, you know, big global companies, Airbnb and Uber, and pretty much everyone who's done anything big in the world has had, you know, some kind of big almost closure. And then they've gone, okay, cut, cut the guts out of it. Go back to basics. Now let's rebuild Phoenix. Like, as you said, and so he was like, no, this is the best thing you ever did. And yeah. And since then I've actually, so many things have happened. I've had extraordinary other business women and men who've like Samantha Wills um, of, um, you know, she's got the jewelry company. She started in 2004, Jodie Fox. She started a business shoes of prey. I think she got $30 million investment 
investment or something last year. All these people have closed their businesses ready for the ultimate pivot. And I think hopefully I've given permission you know, to people to be unafraid to just go, no, this isn't working, you know, I'm just going to close it and work out what the next iteration is. Um, yeah, and history will say that uh, a lot of people now want to invest in whatever's next because they're like, okay, you know how to not mess it up again. <laughs> so let's see. Yeah, and I think that's really, I think the best thing is messing it up. I think getting in, this is an entrepreneur. Now remember everyone, Lisa is an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> getting in there, doing it, messing it up, learning by your mistakes, learning by your growth. I'm assuming if you're, you were, um, I guess, channeling that kind of money, that there were fun times in there as well. And oh. everyone, I did see a few pictures of you with Richard Branson. So I thought, oh, you must have been a bit of fun in that. Do you know what? The, it was the most fun I've, and still is. I mean, gosh, it's fun again. Yeah. Richard Branson. I mean, I spent time on NECA, his private island with him. And then um, I ended up co-chairing the Virgin Way conference with him. So I sat on stage with him for three hours in 2016 at the um, Art Gallery of New South Wales. I've, you know, I was the only person in Australia to have Jamie Oliver on my cover last year when he was out here. So I've spent a lot of time with him. Like, you know, Anna Wintour, the doyen of Vogue and, you know, Devil Wears Prada, September issue, she um, asked me to go and meet with her in New York and I did that because Collective had, you know, come onto her radar. Yeah, John Cleese, you name it. I, I've had a pretty good time. <laughs> and um, you've been a writer on the road as well. But when you step into something so big, you know, it's – um, it. it it's not for the faint-hearted, you know, but the beautiful thing is that because, as you mentioned, I've chosen to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything's possible, I believe that, you know, going to that um, that space of nearly kind of going under was actually perfect for me because it's only having been there that I can now warn other people of don't do that, you know, bigger isn't better. Use specialists, not generalists, like a decentralised um, workforce of freelancers and consultants is amazing because, as we all know, you can dip in and dip out and bring them in project by project. And there's so many things I've learned. So, yes, yeah, so I'm very grateful. I don't want to repeat the journey, but I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> yeah. And in the indie publishing world, everybody, we've got a fellow called Tim Graal and he wrote, I think it was your first thousand uh, copies, and now he's gone on and he's put out a warts and all story. Well, this is the real journey, and it's really ugly, and I didn't do this easily, and even writing the book was a trauma. Um, we all see the shiny bits, don't we? We all see yeah. the shiny magazine, but we don't see the work and the tears, and clearly there would have been a few tears behind risk and resilience because yeah. the decision hurts. I mean, you killed a baby. Yeah. Well, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. And, you know, as as a leader and a visionary, it's very difficult and it sounds like you've been through some of this and we all go through to a certain degree. But, you know, fronting up to the office every day through that period and kind of saying, okay, guys, let's go, you know, let's change the world. And then kind of coming home and just falling in a heap, you know, crying, going, gosh, how am I going to get the money to pay for everything? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the ironic thing in a way was 
that the print magazine was still growing, which was extraordinary. And our digital footprint and our events were also still growing. I mean, we were through that period often running like up to four events a week. And so parts of the business were very much, um, you know, growing and the community was loving it. The problem was I had way too many people on way too high salaries, you know, and way too many big costs um, involved with the business. So it just was never going to work in that iteration. Yeah, and personally, I'm, I'm assuming there is a, there's a personal cost to losing your freedom. There's a personal cost to the responsibility of, of, of having to keep all those people employed. I mean, I think I read somewhere that you knowing that you weren't working these people to their capacity and the stress involved in all that. Yeah, and that's my own fault, you know, like, um, well, you don't know what you don't know. Because I hadn't put the systems and processes in place, it meant that a lot of what we were doing was grossly inefficient. And I would have, you know, six direct reports and four of them would be coming to me saying, hey, we need to do this. And I was like, ah, isn't the other person doing that? And, you know, so that was very interesting going from a very small team of three where you know everyone kind of did everything and we all knew exactly what was going on and we were all so passionate to suddenly I think it was almost like you know that I would have an idea and then it would be filtered down through probably eight people before it actually got implemented so I think there was a lot of way too many people involved you know and so in future what I would say and I'm saying to any creative is get really intimate with your data and have a great, you know, two IC alongside of you who is all about, or, you know, whatever that is, that can be a freelancer, just some great financial person who is kind of slicing and dicing data. I'm always surprised by creatives, um, how much they kind of like, oh, I just love what I'm doing, but I don't really know if I'm charging right or, you know, and um, actually I put something up on my Instagram yesterday. I think it got the most likes I've ever seen. It was about being a creative and charging appropriately and, you know, Anyway, so that's really important, I think. Otherwise, it's fun for a while, but then we do burn out and we get resentful because we're like, hang on a minute, but I'm not paying myself and everyone else is making all this money and having a great time. Yeah, and I think that's um, one of the things that we indie writers and creatives come up against all the time is coming to terms with the fact that we can have our creative hats on at one stage of the day, but at the other stage of the day, we have to get on top of our data. We have to know what's going on behind the scenes. And it's just such an unfamiliar hat that you can make mistakes, can't you, before you learn the ropes. But you, you started somewhere and look at you now. <laughs> well, I wrote my first book in 2004 and it was called Happiness Is. And um, I self-published back then and I just started to kind of learn about it. And then, so I've actually written a lot of books, but no one read any until, <laughs> until about, I've written like 24 books or something. I don't think anyone read the first 18, so... <laughs> Well, I don't know what number mine was, but the money one was fantastic. But I think the latest one, everyone, and there's been some, a couple of really good ones, I think Finding Your Purpose was one of them. Um, but that risk yes. and resilience, uh, resilience is really a key word nowadays. We, we um, throw it around like anything because things go wrong and good people have bad things happen to them. And you come out the other side of it. Now, I know you took, it might have been at Bangalore, which is northern New South Wales, everybody. You just took a day out where you just closed down completely and the ideas come to you, don't they, when you give them permission and when you stop. 
Oh yeah, no, I nearly took a month out. That was last um, last January. I just decided to move physically away from the office because I find when you're in the office, you know, you can be busy but not necessarily productive. And also there's so many things coming at you all the time. You just react, 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 you know. And I was like, I physically have to remove myself from this space to like think clearly and go, what is the next move? You know, it, it wasn't a decision that I made lightly and it took some time. Um, yeah, a lot of time. But I think that's it, you know, whether it's just moving I don't know, to a different suburb or doing something counterintuitive to the norm and just removing yourself so you've got that time and space to actually think about what is the best use of me? Like what's the best situation for me? Otherwise, so many of us just get caught up in the daily grind and living life according to other people's expectations. So, yeah. Yeah, and this is really cool, everyone. Lisa is a born risk taker. But, <laughs> but they're very calculated risks. Like you board in Bangalore, which is uh, it's outside Byron Bay, everybody. It's this little mountain place. You used to have – you could go to a bookshop and they'd wrap your um, books in brown paper and string before brown paper and string were fashionable uh, and where markets were really, you know, organic food and stuff like that where they're not so much anymore. But you bought real estate there when – Everybody else was buying real estate everywhere. So you seem to have a bit of an eye or a bit of a knack for jumping aboard things that would appear risky, but I'm sure you take some steps to minimise that risk. Yeah, so it, 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 it is interesting. I mean, a lot of what I do is just applying a mindset flip to anything. So I did, I bought that property, I think it was 2010. So like, um, what's that, nearly nine years ago and um it was i remember distinctly it was on the market for like um nine hundred and twenty thousand, and i made some ridiculous offer like five hundred and sixty thousand, because i just was like i don't have any you know <laughs> the bank wouldn't lend it to me and i it was obviously way over inflated on the market and um anyway we ended up meeting somewhere in the middle and i think i well not even the middle i think i paid like 590000 i actually wrote a book called property investing the australian way after i bought that cuz um because i realized that actually you know sometimes you can you know buy something get a great deal if it's kind of off market and whatever whatever and then I um, proceeded to kind of cosmetically do it up myself but I've done lots of different things with that property again often using other currencies than cash so what's in it for you what's in it for me so I did a bit of a cosmetic renovation um, you know got some free furniture and things and then did stories on these people in the mag so I love that way of thinking I think anyone can apply that it's about well if I don't have cash at the time it's like well what else can I trade what are my saleable tangible assets how can I help you how can you help me and I really apply that to everything and then business and life become kind of fun because suddenly you're just like well okay cash isn't the only thing how can we just do something really cool together so yeah I have applied it to many industries not just publishing and, and writing yeah you can see why this woman's a um, international speaker of very high repute can't you everybody um, <laughs> you <laughs> but you motivate and you inspire uh now you talk about living your life out loud, but as you live your life out loud, you write about it and you put it on paper so that the rest of us can go, hey, that's what we've been doing and that's what we're going to do. Now, you have moved from a print magazine to online masterclasses and with phenomenal success, I believe. Uh, yes, thank you. So, again, I think 
anyone can do this. And I guess the um, the nice thing about it is so many of us, particularly as writers, that's kind of thinking about, okay, what are the different revenue streams? So you can do a print magazine or write a book, but then, you know, how can we turn that into other forms of content? So actually my first book in this series, Daring and Disruptive, and then Money and Mindfulness, um, I decided, well, there's 10, cha- 10 chapters or whatever in each book, why don't I actually film, you know, masterclasses and create worksheets around them so that people who don't necessarily want to read the book, but they want to actually immerse themselves in a different way of learning, or they've read the book and now they actually want to follow it up with some practical learning. So yeah, I turned them into masterclasses and they've been really, really popular. But I think the message around that is that you know, for us content creators, it's about how do we create content once and then how do we slice and dice it across multiple channels, be they, you know, the printed word, um, you know, digital, video, across social media channels. And I think that's something so many people get confused about. They're like, oh, but do I write a blog or do I post on Instagram or, you know, what do I do? And I'm like, well, if I'm interviewing Melinda, well, let's do, you know, an hour interview and then let's try and slice and dice that into different formats so that, you know, it has longevity and it can reach different people um, at a time they want on a platform they want um, in a way they want. So that's kind of what I do. But, yeah, the digital masterclasses were fun. It was good playing with a different format. Yeah, and they're not that expensive, everyone. I think I noticed I had a faucet through there uh, yesterday. They're $150 or something, so they may go up the more popular they become. But they're, <laughs> they're quite achievable, and the books are so motivating. I'm assuming the masterclasses, having you live on camera, would be would be really motivating <laughs> as well. Um, it's in- well, they were fun to they were fun, fun, fun to record, and and I think there's you know there's really practical worksheets and things, so hopefully people will get a lot out of them. So they're just on uh, collectivehub.com. People can jump on there and have a look. Yeah, and I'll um I'll reference those in the show notes, everybody, so that you can find them. Now oh. there is another print issue coming out of Collective Hub. Now that's been a huge decision to make, hasn't it? Yes, so I need to get really clear about this. So what happened? What happened was when I broke everything and you know really cut the guts out of the cost base and really looked at everything, I suddenly realised that I had already commissioned a full issue. So we'd paid freelance writers um, and my editor and everyone to produce issue fifty three that never actually went to print. So I was in such a you know panic and you know quick close it all down and then I was like wow I've got an entire issue that never saw the light of day sitting there so once I'd had a bit of time and space to breathe recalibrate you know pay what I needed to pay I said to my editor Amy and my art director M who've worked with me for years I said hey, should we bring this issue that never made the light of day out at Christmas time and they both said a resounding yes and my head of um, logistics and distribution, Jody, who's also been with me about seven years now, um, she was banging on to me about, you know, oh, we need to bring out one shots and everything, like pretty much the day I close. And I said, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> anyway... It was quite extraordinary. Newslink and WH Smith and all the news agencies and people who'd supported us, you know, when I floated the idea and said, look, if we brought back a one shot at Christmas time, would you guys support it? And they all said, of course, you know, anytime you want to bring one back, the space is yours. And so 
one, it was already commissioned. Two, my team were like, yep, let's do it. Three, you know, um, our distribution channels and retail outlets were just so supportive. And four, our community freaking love it. And five, I love it. So, so yes, 3rd of December, there will be one issue. And then my hope is, now that I've sort of broken everything and can do it more sustainably, I will try, no promises, to bring out two print issues each year, but just two, not 12 like I was doing. <laughs> and and when Let's you look see. back, when you look back, you wonder how insane was that? But when you're in the middle of it, you don't even notice, do you? You just do it. Oh, you just do it. But, um, but actually, what I do love about print is when I really looked at it all and got you know, again, as I said, intimate and with the data and the numbers, I realised that actually print wasn't the big issue. It was, you know, just having way, way, way too many people working in the business on, you know, way too broad a plethora of different projects. And actually the print itself does just fine. So I love it. And I actually just signed off on it yesterday and it goes to print on Tuesday. So, and it looks beautiful and I'm just so excited about it. So hopefully... Hopefully everyone's excited and hopefully I'm not confusing the marketplace by doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure we'll all go out and grab a copy for our Christmas stockings, everyone. It matters still, we might tell our kids. But there's another oh. thing that I'm definitely getting on my Christmas list and this is not a plug for Lisa. Lisa didn't know I was doing this, but I was reading and I thought, I've got to have it. It's the 2019 Diary. Treasure your yesteryear, throw yourself into today and dream about tomorrow. Oh, you're a darling. Have you got one? I'll send you one immediately. <laughs> um... I haven't got one, but I will buy one. That's no, sort of a little not. thing with me. <laughs> but, it, guys, every, seriously, this is, if we want to be Lisa in 2019, this thing is truly inspirational, isn't it? Uh, so that little diary journal, it's funny, this is all about new beginnings as well because the last four years we've done a diary every year and it's always been black and white. And anyway, I said to my distributors and the retail outlets I said diaries really in this day and age and they said they just sell people just love them yeah. so I decided yeah. that this one I would make it full color and beautiful and happy and joyous and then I said to my team let's put lists all the way through it all the things that help all of us each day so we've got like lots of checklists about you know all sorts of things about living your best life and how to be a startup and how to make money and all kinds of stuff in there so yeah it's it's Fun. <laughs> yeah, and new beginnings, everybody. Every year is a new year, but some years are bigger than others. And and coming in, pivoting, changing directions is, I think it's always exciting. I've always lived my life by t every day is a new day. And yes. I'm thinking even like with you, you've recreated your business. I love the risk and resilience idea. Coming in new directions, you don't know what's ahead for you, do you? No. So the thing about it is, and I think this is another amazing Thing for people everyone I think we all try and control our lives and control what's next and what I've really learned is as long as you know kind of your purpose and your why and what you stand for then it's actually beautiful just to kind of surrender and detach from outcome and let the universe kind of that sounds quite woo-woo but take care of the rest and so at the moment I'm really you know I'm still writing books I'm still speaking you know we'll do the print mag now and then um you know but I'm also really taking time and space to educate myself and, and play around with tech. I think, um, you know, something I'm interested in doing because I know 
very little about it, is kind of trying to evolve a big tech play that kind of serves our community. So let's see. Watch this space. That's I'm going to pick you. I'm going to pick your brain on that. I'm just, I'm making notes here, everybody, as Lisa's talking, um, and you seem very relaxed. Like I look, I recommend everybody go indie and and not load themselves up with big businesses. I mean, I would have loved to earn all that money and and be that person, but the idea of all those staff just frightens the living daylights out of me. Um, tell me about tech. Tell me about the new tech. Um, and I'm just texting my beautiful boyfriend in case he walks through the door so it doesn't interrupt us oh. um tech so yeah oh and going back to that it's interesting I, i've said it a couple of times in this interview bigger isn't better in terms of it's actually fascinating having that many staff and that much you know having that much to pay out all the time i've never been so cash poor in my life you know and as i wrote about in risk and resilience i I sold some properties, you know, I'll never see that money again. Whereas actually, um, you know, when you're a solopreneur and you're working with freelancers, you're actually pretty likely to make a lot more money and have a lot more freedom. So again, you know, actually that's what my next book, which will come out July 2019, it's largely about that. Working title, work from wherever, and it's very much around a decentralized um team you know as I said using specialists not generalists and um yeah so that's 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 what I'm in the middle of writing living that life and writing about it at the moment but the tech play um I'm kind of fascinated I've been spending a lot of time with um coders and <laughs> you know it's such a foreign concept to me developers and coders and you know a lot of um a lot of men it's very heavy in that kind of way but I'm really trying to learn you know how do you build something um you know a big online play so I don't know yet what that'll look like but I'm certainly enjoying educating myself and learning an entirely new skill set because it's quite foreign to me <laughs> yeah and it's look it's exciting everybody I love my life I I have a caravan and I trip around everywhere Lisa and I call myself rider on the road and it's, oh, I love that yeah. Great. And it's, I'm going to have to interview you next. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the journey that matters. I fully focus on that freedom, the journey, writing from wherever you are. I'm excited that you're writing a new book. Um, oh, clearly, I'm, I'm your inspiration. To, you're going to have to be a case study in that book, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just having a little touchy, touchy, feely moment here, everybody. You just let us go for it. Um, <laughs> It's a love fest. <laughs> yeah, we're having a love fest. Um, there is one place that Lisa and I do diverge, and I, I don't want to finish on this because I've got something else special I want to finish on, uh, but you are very big on your daily routines, which I am absolutely useless at. I love getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but by 10 o'clock my life's gone bung. Um, you're very much <laughs> on those routines, aren't you, on keeping that steady ship? Rituals and routines, although having said that, my boyfriend gets up at 3.59 a.m. every morning. I generally get up between 7.30 and 8. I am so lazy in that way. So he's done three and a half or four hours work before I even arise. But what I learned is for years I tried to get up at 
you know, five or six. And I just learned for some reason, my body seems to work that I need to sleep a lot. Um, I make no apology for that. But during the day, I am never tired. I have so much energy and people are always commenting, oh my God, you have so much energy. And I just, I just made peace with it. And I stopped being hard on myself and going, oh, well, surely I can just sleep five hours a night as well. And now I'm like, no, you know what? I need eight to 10 hours every night. But then I have certain rituals and routines that I kind of follow throughout the day. And when I started my business 17 years ago, the very thought of a routine or a ritual, I would have run a mile from. But now I've learned that actually it's those things. So in the morning, um, you know, I meditate, I journal, I take my dog for a run. Like I do certain things. I listen to a podcast and kind of educate myself. And it's generally a try not to open my emails until about 10 a.m. Because I said before, there's a big difference between being productive and being busy. And as soon as I open my emails, I'm just busy and I'm reacting to, you know, whatever is coming in, all that external noise. And so I try and be quite disciplined about this is me time. This is, you know, just to, to educate myself and get myself into a, um, you know, a good headspace really. So whatever works for you, I think that's it. You know, listen to listen to other people, but then go your own way. Yeah, and a lot of the entrepreneur guys, everyone, John Lee Dumas, uh, Tim Ferriss, all those guys, they always talk about that morning routine. They usually throw in climbing up a mountain and doing a six-hour gym routine as well, which is just makes me cold. <laughs> Not interested in that at all. I'm waving my hand, everybody go, I don't know why you can't see me. Uh, yeah, but I want to finish with this very, very important thing. Um, and I never even mentioned, this is from Telstra Businesswoman of the Year, Thought Leader of the Year, all these things that Lisa's... Um, been in her, I guess, re reincarnations as, as you've gone through. Um, I researched it, so I wanted to mention it. But oh. the thing I wanted to... <laughs> come on, give me a break. And the thing I really <laughs> wanted to mention was all you need to do is take the first step. I think this is a fantastic place to finish because it's the beginning of everything, isn't it? 100%. And you know what? I am so not perfect and I really am not terribly qualified at anything. <laughs> it's just that I'm, I've um, cultivated this mindset that anything is possible, you know, over years. And so you just have to start. And it's like, you know, at the moment, I know so little about you know, technology in terms of a big tech play, but I'm just like, well, I'm just going to start, you know? And I think so many of us keep ourselves small because we're afraid or, you know, we think that someone else has got it all together. Well, here's a little secret. No one really knows what they're doing most of the time. <laughs> so you just start. And actually naivety can be a great thing, you know? I literally just go, well, I just put the next foot in front of you know, and think, well, what's the next logical step? And, and, and the nice thing about that is that, you know, when I started the print magazine or various other things I've done, I didn't know that there were rules. So I, so I just broke them because I didn't know they existed. And I just kept thinking, well, who would want to read this? Or how would I distribute this? And I just kept asking the questions and yeah, just keep asking why every day, why and how. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and do it, everybody. Just get out there and do it and then turn around over your shoulder and say, why am I doing this? Um, and it works. It truly, truly works. Um, from the day oh. I bought your book till now, we haven't looked back and we continue to oh. do it now and look over our shoulders and go, oh, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Um, but 
if if you want to stay um, busy and fulfilled and continue on that life learning journey, you you have to because those traditional jobs aren't there anymore, are they? And you don't want to end up with Lisa with a three hundred million dollar business uh, that ties you Not to a chair. <laughs> Not a sorry, too many zeros. I'm sorry. <laughs> there were a lot of zeros. I don't want too many zeros in a hurry. <laughs> uh, beautiful to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Now I will have all the places you can find Lisa. Lisa's got her own. You've got your own website and you've got the Collective Hub website with those amazing $150 courses, everybody. I thoroughly recommend that you oh, do them. You. One of them's even, and this is really important for us um, story writers, everyone, how to get your story in front of the media. I read that one and I thought, I would never have even thought of making a course about that because I would have just banged their doors down. But it's right. <laughs> People don't know to do that, do they? So, yeah, so that was one of them that I made um, earlier this year, pitch to the media, because because owning the media and people pitching all the time I just was flabbergasted by how many people just do like a one size fits all and you know and really we'll publish anyone if they you know do something that's useful for the reader or they've done their research so I was like okay I'll make a course on how to do this so that's gone really well yeah I want everybody who pitches to this podcast to read that please I keep getting all <laughs> these ones about oh I listen to um writer on the road all the time and I'm going you haven't got a clue <laughs> Because yeah. it shows in their first line. They haven't got a clue. Um, well, I start listening all the time now. I will be a big convert and one day I will interview you. <laughs> <laughs> I am trolling my way, everybody, through LinkedIn and I have made got some really good guests coming up. We're sort of doing a little bit of a pivot for the po- with the podcast as well. We've done a lot um, for the last two years on books and writing and we're moving further, further into, I guess, that entrepreneurial headspace and that creative entrepreneur headspace and, like, you're you're really my transition I'd like to say because oh thank you uh, look hey you're my clearly my guru clearly when I grow up I want to be just like you <laughs> all right everybody I'm gonna let Lisa go she's been really really patient she's got a handsome hero waiting for her um Lisa thank you for your time and I wish you all the best in 2019 and we'll certainly put um that uh issue 53 which is issue you're gonna call it issue 53 or Christmas issue we're going to call it a special issue, but secretly on the spine, and we'll have issue 53 because they have to go in order, don't they, for everyone who's been following them for ages. So, and they'll yeah. be a collector's item one day because, you know, they just will be. All right, and that's it from another episode of Writer on the Road.